Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful week. This episode comes out on Easter Sunday. So for those of you that celebrate, wishing you a happy Easter. It also falls on Passover. So wishing everyone a happy Passover who celebrates. And it also is Ramadan, which I think I forgot to acknowledge uh, when it began uh, the other week. But hope everyone is able to spend some time with family and take some time away from work, which is exactly what I am doing. So I'm recording this episode early because I will be down in Naples, Florida with my family to celebrate Passover. And uh, also celebrate the fact that I got over COVID again. (laughs) It's so funny when you have COVID and I feel like when I'm watching Bravo shows, for whatever reason, COVID just keeps coming up or maybe I only notice it because I was sick at the time. But like this week, uh, Teresa Judice had COVID. I've been watching season eight of Married to Medicine, and it's like the COVID season. So I'm just excited to kind of put that behind me for for a bit. Wanted to share some thoughts on this week's Summer House and Jersey. Let's start with Jersey. So I feel like since the last time I recorded, some more information has come to light about this Pizzagate story, which kind of... It's just such a mess. But basically, it sounds like there was a verbal agreement between Joe Gorga and Louis. And then at some point down the line, when Louis put the money in, either Joe said he wouldn't or I don't know, but Louis and Teresa ended up changing the name that they had apparently agreed to verbally to the skinny Italian. And it was these pizza makers that they were going to sell. And there are pictures now that are circulating of exactly what the oven looked like and the branding and the picture of Teresa and her daughters. So I, I don't know. All I think is that one, it doesn't seem to be a good idea to go into business with Louis or actually almost any of the men on Jersey. (laughs) You know, it's not like Joe Gorga has a stellar business reputation. And two, you need to go in with a contract that is signed and approved by lawyers before you like do anything. I mean, it has to be a legal contract. Otherwise, you're going to keep ending up in these situations. I do find it fishy that there was a fallout between Louis and Dina's husband about business. It's like, how many businesses fallouts are you going to have, Louis? This is not not good. And if you frequently have business fallouts, why would you try and go into business with a soon-to-be relative knowing that it can cause controversy? And also, why would Joe Gorgo want to go into business? Like, It's not like they had this wonderful, amazing, long-standing relationship. And even when you do have that, it can go south with, with business. I thought the coffee cup reader was hilarious. It was very obvious that Jennifer Aiden shared a bunch of stuff with her beforehand. And I did find it funny that Jackie couldn't stop laughing at it. Um, 
you know, I think sometimes they have people on the shows who really do have some sort of skill. I don't know if it's psychic or whatever, but um, this woman did not did not seem to to have those skills, and she was oddly specific and telling everyone basically what they wanted to hear. Um, or what Jen Aiden wanted everyone to hear. <laughs> um, Polly's house. Wow. It seemed so nice. And from the brief time that they were out on the deck, it looked like it had an incredible view of a bridge that either goes into Manhattan or some other part of New York. But wow, Dolores seemed to kind of hit the jackpot. Polly seems to really respect her and... Um, you know, I respect that he doesn't want to have the closest relationship ever with her ex-husband. I think that's normal. And I think he's right to kind of question the fact that Dolores's ex-husband lives with her ex-boyfriend. It's, it's, it's a little odd, you know, there's just not a lot of boundaries. Um, and I think he's someone who likes a little bit more space and he's entitled to that. And Dolores is certainly entitled to that. Um, trying to think if there's anything else with the Danielle and the story of her brother. Yeah, it seems like there's something missing. I don't know if they have differing political opinions or like something that would make it so much uh, more understandable um, for why, you know, or, or saying some sort of horrible insult about someone's kid. Like, I don't know, something that seems to cause rifts in families and just the way that she's explaining it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but maybe that's how she understands it in in her head. Um, going on to Summer House. So we find out this week uh, in real time that Sam is dating Corey, which is Craig's best friend who was on the past season of Winter House. Don't know how I feel about it. I hope that they're both happy. But um, in the time that I'm recording, she's come out and said that she's in a relationship with him and he hasn't said anything, which is weird to me. But, you know, probably by the time you guys are all listening to this, that he will have said something. Um, I really think Sam is wise beyond her years for one, being able to maintain relationships independently with people in the house and not letting her friendship with Lindsay impact a friendship with Danielle, impact a friendship with Amanda. And um, she really does hit the nail on the head when she says that if Lindsay is curbing her drinking to support Carl, who's facing these serious demons, like who are we to judge? And if Danielle and Lindsay's friendship needs alcohol and partying in order to like function, then maybe it wasn't that great of a relationship to begin with. I can't put my finger on exactly why everyone is so upset with Lindsay, except for Danielle. I think that Danielle is like, in her mind, she's like, I moved to the Hamptons because my boyfriend is a chef and I spend most of my time there away from the city and away from my friend Lindsay. And I get to hang out with her now on the weekends because she's coming out to the Hamptons. But she's spending all of her time with her boyfriend, Carl, who is also my ex and our mutual friend. And the dynamic is weird. And Lindsay doesn't seem to be prioritizing spending time with Danielle. Now, all Danielle has to say is listen, Lindsay, like I miss our one-on-one friendship 
and would love to spend some time one-on-one with you. Would you come out a day early? Would you, you know, can we go do something? It doesn't have to involve drinking. I've had to have these conversations with friends, you know, if they get into a relationship or they move in with someone and you just don't get to spend as much time with them or the time that you do spend is only with them and their partner. And sometimes you just want a little one-on-one time. It's, It's okay. So rather than you know, being a jerk (laughs) to that friend and talking to someone who absolutely hates them about them, you could just tell them how you're feeling. And usually they'll be pretty responsive if it's a healthy friendship. I don't know. It really, really is disappointing to watch Danielle just seem to like fall into Paige and Amanda's hands. Like, Paige seems so giddy that Danielle and Lindsay are about to have a falling out. I just, I don't know. I I feel like they've put this narrative in her head that you've always gone to bat for Lindsay, which which is something that Danielle chose to do, um, and that Lindsay wouldn't do the same for you. But like, what is this going to bat for? Like, why do people have to keep going to bat for one another? And what is happening in Danielle's life that she needs Lindsay to come to bat for her? And also, I've noticed that Danielle has been a really good friend to Lindsay when she was in unhealthy and toxic relationships, kind of consoling her, telling her, listening to, you know, Lindsay say, oh, he doesn't treat me well, and, you know, I'm going to leave him, and Danielle supporting that. But now that Lindsay's in a healthy relationship, Danielle, I don't know, it's like she still wants to shit talk whatever healthy relationship Lindsay is in, and I guess I don't know if it's like a certain age you hit when you just like learn that it does not make sense ever, ever. And it is not your place to speak on your friend's relationships unless they are at risk of harm, whether that be emotional or physical. And so you don't have to like who your friend's end up with. You don't. You can still maintain friendships with them. Is it easier if you like them? Sure. But it's their choice at the end of the day. And if they're happy, don't you want your friend to be happy? It's so mind-boggling to me that Danielle is like, you're moving too fast. You're making mistakes. It's like, I'm the one that's supposed to protect you for making mistakes. No, that's not your job as a friend. Your job is to enjoy spending time with the other person. It's not to constantly judge all of their life decisions and then like protect them from making mistakes. If you think she's making a mistake, fine. Let her make a mistake. Maybe her and Carl will end up divorced. I don't know. Like it's not her job to figure that all out. So I could see where Lindsay is really hurt. Um, And if Danielle's just hurt about the like changing dynamics of like every time I'm with you and you're all over Carl and that's super weird because the three of us used to be really close friends. um, Sure. But then just like talk about it. Right. And say this is something specifically that you do or we're all at a party and you guys go off together in the corner and are talking. That makes me feel isolated. Explain it. Anyways, it just shows that um, Danielle is, I think, maybe not as mature as um, as we all thought, and also that she's probably projecting um, insecurities that she has in her relationship with Robert, which we all know has since ended. So would love to hear others' thoughts. I'm really hoping that at some point, or at least at the reunion, 
some of these women can explain to us why they hate Lindsay so much. But thus far, I feel like the <laughs> the level of like it, like fury and hate towards her doesn't seem to match the behavior that she's had. Is she a saint? No. But like they seem to have an outsized level of frustration with her. And it almost feels like, you know, the women on Beverly Hills versus LVP, that with LVP, they were able to explain that LVP was orchestrating these storylines to make everyone else look bad and make LVP look like the hero. And in reality, she would throw her friends under the bus or just like say these backhanded things and um, wasn't as true of a friend and cared much more about the show. I don't know that we've seen all of that from Lindsay. I, I, maybe it's there, but um, yeah. I'm really interested to see this reunion and how everything plays out. All right. Well, this week on the podcast, Louis Staples is back. This is the second part that we recorded um, while I was sick. So again, I went through and cut out all my sneezing and coughing that happened in the background when he was talking. And we talk mainly about Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. And I'm really enjoying Ultimate Girls Trip. I love Phuket. Um, he had an experience there where he went on a girls trip. I went on a trip just with one friend and it was like the least dramatic thing ever. <laughs> um, but we went around the same time of year and I did remember it can rain quite a bit, especially in the afternoon. So we would get up really, really early, spend hours at the beach doing things outdoors and then go inside in the afternoon when it would rain. Um, uh, so yeah, it's kind of sad. Like, I feel like they have all these fun things planned and then it rains and they all seem to be kind of perplexed, like, oh, it's raining again. But that's just the season that they're in. Um, cause I believe this was filmed in the summer of 2022. So I'm having a great time watching it. I love this Pepsi character who's running the house that they're all staying in. And yeah, I feel like my feelings and thoughts about all of the people on the show are pretty much the same as I had prior to the show. I find Leah endlessly annoying who doesn't, she doesn't take any responsibility for anything. It's always someone else's fault. No one told me I could leave and go visit my grandma when she was dying. Why do you have to be told? Why can't you just, if you want to leave, just do it. No one's saying no. So uh, I don't know. I feel like she's always looking for relationships and like recreating the relationship she has with her mom, which is not the healthiest. I just find her frustrating. Um, I think Candace, it's catching her in a really interesting place, like where it sounds like things aren't as great with her husband, Chris, and they're arguing about his job, which he has since left. Uh she, but I, I find her really entertaining. The whole Heather and Whitney stuff, I think Heather comes across very suspect, and she does a really, really, really good job of building relationships with other women on the show so that they don't catch her lies and her kind of misleading tendencies. But it is so bizarre to see how hard she is going for Jen Shaw and how quickly she was able to turn on Whitney. Um, and then, you know, Marisol. Marisol has made me laugh a lot. I really appreciated her being so open about her fertility journey. Um, 
just the fact that she can't, I guess it's not a journey. She found out that she couldn't carry a child um, in her uterus. And then, you know, it was a very painful situation for her. And then just a few episodes later, she's making a joke about the king cake not having the little baby Jesus in it. Um, And like, it's just like her uterus, there'll never be a baby in it. And I laughed because I think that kind of humor is healing. Being able to laugh at things like that um, can be really helpful for people. Uh, I am quite concerned that I think she has an ulcer (laughs) and she seems to um, maybe drink too much, which she's always alluded to. I don't know how much of it is like real or her just talking about it because she never seems like fall over on your face drunk. Uh, But she also actively talks about not eating all the time, which is not great if you have an ulcer and just not great in general. So I do, I don't know, I'm concerned for her health. I want her to be healthy and and happy. And I find Alexia a lot less annoying on Ultimate Girls Trip than I did on this season of Miami. Portia is a star. She's great for the show. Um, Giselle is, (laughs) Giselle is just Giselle. Anyways, I think you guys are really going to enjoy my conversation with Louie. It's a little bit shorter than I normally have, but we recorded in two parts the other week when I was sick so that I could take a week off and be with my family for Passover. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the podcast. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, go ahead, give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review. And um, if you want to reach out to me with any constructive criticism or just share your thoughts on anything going on, uh, you can reach me at Mandy Slutsker on Instagram. Have a wonderful, happy, healthy week, everyone. Hi, everyone. I am back with Louis Staples, a London-based writer and editor who writes about culture, TV, the internet, and queer issues. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> I <Hola. laughs> wanted to start out by diving into Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Season 3. They're in Phuket, Thailand. I know you have been watching. I have been watching. I think some more episodes will have aired by the time this uh, podcast hits the airwaves, but wanted to get some of your overall thoughts. I know you have a bit of a thesis you wanted to share. (laughs) So I am, first of all, I am forever obsessed with Girls Trip as a format. Um, You know, I'm I'm a Bravo fan where I definitely watch for the last and for the entertainment and for, you know, getting into the minutia of the specific feuds. But I also love, um, and this is sort of why my writing often revolves around this, I also love, you know, the the different nuances and the reality TV medium itself and dissecting all of that minutia of the fourth wall and of what's real and what's not and what's for the show and what's not and how all these women behave and sort of what it says about where the medium's at. So Girls Trip is obviously completely fascinating in that regard because it's really a show about women who have appeared on other shows who are, you know, making a specific show together. But then it's really about, it's a show about what, what it means to be a reality star and what it means to be a real housewife specifically, um, which I think is just so fascinating. Um, and there's so many parts, even on this third season, that I just felt open mouthed at when I was watching it. I mean, the first sort of group convo around the table where they were talking about 
you know, asking Leah whether her show's coming back and her saying, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And I just thought that was completely fascinating to see them asking her, you know, I think it was Giselle, of course it was, saying, are you still a housewife? Basically, just, you know, <laughs> getting straight to the point. And I thought it was kind of interesting how she felt almost like a little bit vulnerable in that moment. Like on this trip with these women, there's I am um, this real emphasis on being, you know, an all-star and being, you know, I think it was Heather when she was on the phone to Whitney when they were packing, she said something like, we're in the big leagues or something like that. And um, definitely we've seen the way they were all sort of fawning over Portia at first. There's this vibe where it's like, if you've been on TV longer, you know, you've got a kind of higher status. And I think Giselle said something in her confessional, like, Whitney, you've been, only been a housewife for two seasons or something like that. Like, like she sit said down. Like, like, she, yeah, like, you can't speak to me, basically, because, you know, I've been on my show for seven seasons and you've only been for two. Which, so there's this vibe around that table where, like, being a, a big dog or being on TV for a long time, especially being on one of the older franchises, like Atlanta, is, like puts you at the top of the food chain so I thought it was interesting to see like yeah like Leah was kind of like her one of the housewife well the main housewife on that trip where her future was like very precarious not just not just her future but the future of the show that she's on um so I thought that was fascinating um I just think like also just on a personal level I have been on a girl's trip to Phuket in Thailand and um literally on this girl's trip I, I may try and write about this one day, but on this girl's trip, there was such a big fight that one of our one of one of the people on this trip who um, was traveling around Asia at the time and sort of met us in Thailand, she literally the next day flew like away to another country to like get off the trip, like and left like oh in the middle God. of the night. So it was, I was like, Bravo's cameras would have been it would have been amazing. Um, but so yeah, I feel a certain like flashbacks of terror, like watching them have all these fights in this like villa. It's like very, um, very much triggering for me. But um, yeah, I think that the Potomac ladies are really earning their paycheck. I would say on this this show, um, I think that they have such a fascinating relationship where it's like they're nemesises, but they're not like fighting every two seconds. So it's like we get to see other parts of them. It's like, and it's not like they hate each other loads. So they're like completely blinded by it in a sense. Um, and they're which I newly, think is interesting. newly nemesis. Like right. I think, you know, Candace really felt like she had some sort of relationship with Giselle. And then when it became clear that it was just a relationship for television and that Giselle was willing to throw her and her marriage under the bus for good TV, then uh, good TV in quotes, then she was like, oh, this isn't what I thought. So now I need to put my guard up. And now Giselle is in a different category in my head. But yeah, it is it is very fascinating to watch this season in particular, because, you know, we did see a little bit more of the conversation about what it means to be a housewife on Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip season one, where everyone seemed to be really sort of getting along at this uh, season three. It's very combative. It's very like, let's put every single person on like trial, let's interrogate them. Um, but what's interesting is some of the questions that are being asked are questions that I, as an audience member, have, such as about Portia's relationship and how it started, about Heather's black eye and 
her issues with Jen Shaw and her support of her. So, you know, would love to get your thoughts on sort of like the change from season Mm -hmm. one to season three. Yeah, I mean, I think season one was definitely an experiment because they'd never done it before. So I think that they've definitely learned a lot about this specific format and what makes it good to watch. Um, Especially because, I mean, season one must have been very expensive because it was, you know, the really like either the OGs or the, the, you know, very long serving cast members of, you know, the biggest franchises. Um, So I think they've definitely learned how this show works. And what's interesting, as you mentioned, they've picked um, Housewives from the same shows this time that are in a fight. So they, you know, that wasn't really the case for the first one where it was, you know, in a phase where Melissa and Teresa were still friends and the Countess and Ramona were kind of getting along. I mean, they had some arguments on the trip, but it was like not that intense. So they've definitely made a conscious decision there. I think that is it's a mixed blessing because what we're seeing now is the sort of same fights that we've watched already again. And it, because of the way that it's been released and filmed, the reunions for Potomac and Salt Lake city are after this. So the arguments that we've seen at the reunion are already after this. So it's sort of messed up our idea of time. And also we've seen the Black Eye storyline on television and we've seen the Giselle Candace storyline on television, but the Housewives in Thailand haven't because those shows hadn't aired yet. So they're sort of explaining this to them and they're making a judgment on it when they haven't seen it. And then they're arguing about it. So it's like kind of dissatisfying in that way because it sort of feels very like rehashing the same thing. I mean, in the most recent Girls Trip episode, I think Candace at one point literally just says, stop to... Heather and Whitney arguing about whether Heather should leave the Mormon church or whatever, that same argument they've already had. And then cuts to her confessional and she's like, all they do is argue about church, like go or don't go. Like, I don't care. And it's kind of like difficult because we're seeing these arguments rehashed over and over again. I think what's very interesting, I'm going to get into my thesis now about this show is that it's sort of confirming something I've thought about Housewives for a long time, which is, um, well, I'm just going to put it all out there. I really do not like Salt Lake City as a show. I think that it had an amazing first season and it had so much promise. I loved the first season. I think it had, you know, quite for Bravo, quite a diverse um, set of housewives. Um, it also had that very kind of Salt Lake City vibe about it, which I think makes a makes a show really good because, you know, we like to see what makes this place different to all the other places. It had that, you know, the whole Mormon thing and interesting stuff about how the Mormons on the show were quite different from one another. I thought that it and had some amazing quotes and amazing fights, but I think that what makes this show not work is that, the second season just went completely off the rails. I mean, I've seen it so many times being described by people as like the best franchise on Bravo right now, especially when the whole Jen Shah thing was happening. And I was just like kind of looking at it with my mouth open, like, are you guys watching a different show? Like, obviously the Jen Shah situation was seismic and like nothing we've ever seen before on television. But I just think that that season, the second season, went completely off the rails, where it was basically just like this circular firing squad of all the housewives like falling out with one another. And I think that's quite difficult as a viewer because really I think seasons of Housewives work when it's based around like one or two central feuds and then the teams kind of like 
coalesce around those feuds like New Jersey is a good example of a franchise that tends to do that every season but if it's like every single person is fighting with each other it becomes incredibly difficult to follow and as basic as this sounds we kind of need like a hero and a villain even if it's who we think is the hero and the villain like not necessarily like a a firm hero and villain but we kind of need like that and that in a season of Housewives I think whereas with season two of Salt Lake City it just felt like everyone was the villain and I just kind of like felt find myself disliking all of the wives because they were all just behaving in a way that was just so below the belt towards one another so I went into season three with my expectations like really low um and honestly like I think the show got even worse in season three um I was expecting a lot more stuff about Jen, but as we know, you know, she basically hid all of the stuff and wasn't honest about um, about it. And it just ended up having a very dissatisfying conclusion with her not coming to the reunion and all of that being off camera. Um, so that was not necessarily the wider cast's fault. So I feel kind of bad blaming them, f- them for that, but it was a similar vibe of just like everyone being in a fight. And I had this phrase, which is, not necessarily the most like PC of phrases, but I have this thing where I think in the housewives world, there's this thing called second season derangement where like when a housewife joins the franchise, she's on the show for the first season and everything's new. And then there comes the moment where the show airs, uh, she gets loads of Instagram followers. She is being approached by the media. She's maybe getting offered business deals. She's, you know, doing photo shoots and all this stuff, appearing on Watch What Happens Live. She's famous. Then goes into the second season and is like, ends up losing quite a lot of the stuff that people liked from the first season because she's so much more aware of being, you know, a real housewife. And she's not necessarily being herself. She's being a real housewife. I think... Are you describing Heather Gay? I am. (laughs) Wendy Wendy, Wendy from Potomac is is a housewife that had this... But I honestly think most of the housewives on Salt Lake City all got it, apart from perhaps Meredith. Um, but yes, Heather Gay is is the prime example of this and seems to be completely dictated at all times by what she thinks the fans are going to like. And just then because of that, sort of oozes this desperation where it just feels like every single thing she's saying isn't real. And th- there's no finer, no finer example of this and when they were all you know having fun and like running around throwing mud at each other at the um elephant sanctuary and she was just standing there like paralyzed you could almost see the cogs in her brain thinking um should i be should i be doing this or like and then it cuts to her confessional and she's like i'm worried about peter and like backlash and like that just gave me such a fascinating insight into her mind that in that moment she's going that catastrophic inside her brain that like if I run around with these ladies, we might get cancelled because of by animal rights activists, which I just think is like the furthest, like that's such a huge leap to me to go from that to that, that that tells me that so many of her behaviours on this show must just be made with that type of thought process in mind. Like, how can I not get in trouble? But then she, so she's like, oh, how can I not get in trouble? But I am going to align myself and be the most vocal supporter of someone who has ripped off the most vulnerable in American society, the elderly, the, the poor, you know, I mean, it's it's wild to me, the mental gymnastics that she does to think like, 
yes, I think she wants to be really well liked, but then she can't get over her obsession with Jen Shah. It's so, so weird to me. Well, I think my thought process on this has always been from day one that Jen has something on Heather. I don't know what it is. I mean, yeah. Whitney said it. Whitney said it on the most recent episode of Girls Trip anyway. So it's not like it's a conspiracy theory. I think that she has something very bad on her. Like there's this time where she appeared on Watch What Happens Live, I think around the time that season two of Salt Lake City was airing. And um, Andy basically read out all these things that Jenna said about her, like since, you know, on social media while the first season was airing. And it was like all these horrible things, like literally calling her Shrek and stuff like that. And she just like, was like, you know, she's my girl. Like I can get over that. And at that time I was just like, this isn't right. Like this woman is being held over a barrel in some way like like there's no way that this can be how you would actually react um so I just think either that or she has some sort of major childhood complex about like helping helping someone I think it's weird I think we forget with these housewives as well that they exist in this kind of world of like rich people right or want to be rich people and in that world there's this incredibly weird um idea of like solidarity like um, do you remember when Ellen DeGeneres was with George Bush and there was that whole backlash about her being at the football game with George Bush? And I oh, like really kind of yeah. the thing that really sort of kicked out the like let's cancel Ellen thing into like a new gear. Um, and then she posted something like monologue on her show about like you know I I'm basically like both sidesy. I'm friends with everyone. And then I remember on her social media, like on the comments on it, it was that she just full of celebrities saying like amazing and like blah blah blah, but which was completely at odds with public opinion about that so they have this idea I think when you're in that world there's almost like it's us against the outside world sort of vibe and I think that that we can kind of see elements of that in how the Beverly Hills Housewives responded to the Erica um Girardi and Tom Girardi um legal scandal where there's this kind of like class solidarity but also kind of like reality star solidarity thing where almost like they think in their brains that the noble thing to do is to like ride it out with this person and like back them to a hill against kind of like the haters um, where they don't necessarily think about um, what, like what the viewers or how that looks to people that aren't in that kind of world, you know? That's such a good point. This stuff with Erica Jane. I also think because sometimes what is happening in their life is portrayed on TV in a way that they feel is not representative or representative. They then are like, oh, maybe she's being shown in this way, but maybe the real story is is something else. So I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt because I know how things can be twisted for the show. But this goes right into one of your articles that you wrote that Um, is the reason I reached out to you to be on the show, which is about the authenticity crisis happening on The Real Housewives. And it, you know, you wrote that it feels like housewives are continuously deciding which things like to bring up on camera and which ones to keep quiet. And, you know, building on the last piece that you had about the longevity of housewives, those have been on the longest seem to feel the most comfortable deciding what's appropriate to bring up and what's not for the cameras. And sometimes they seem to miscalculate. I think the the biggest example that we've seen in most recent history is Robin's miscalculation. But do you feel like, 
the Jersey calculation with whether or not to talk about this pizza business mm. or calculations um, about Jen Shaw's scandal. I, I mean, kind of give me your thoughts on on this and how we're watching this authenticity crisis play out. And do you think that the cure for it is Ultimate Girls Trip? Because we're it's the most authentic we see them. They're talking about how they feel about being housewives and about the show itself. Sorry, mm. that was a lot of questions. No, such an interesting <laughs> question. I think what you said about the longer, longest serving housewives, um, yeah, this is something I've been thinking about recently. As you mentioned, I wrote this article for Rolling Stone about how housewives is sort of basically an all but name a survivor show now. So it's really making it from one season to the next is the top priority of these women. And that's why the sort of behavior we tend to see at the end of seasons, like Kathy Hiltongate, like the black eye tends to be like next level because they're creating a big drama to justify their presence. And then also sort of teasing that there's more to more to um, share for the next season. So there's an intrigue to keep them around. Right. So the Robin Dixon situation is also interesting in that regard, because I'm sure that she pissed so... I mean, I know she pissed so many people off, not least her co-stars, the fans, Andy Cohen. I'm sure everyone's annoyed. But it does also create an interesting intrigue for the next season of Potomac. Like, how are they going to handle that, right? So I think that might be the one thing that keeps her keeps her a little lifeboat afloat in this Housewives franchise is that is an interesting thing to unpack. But I think the longer-serving Housewives is interesting because as I mentioned, they have this kind of seniority in the in the Housewives world, even compared, we see it in Ultimate Girls Trip, even compared to the other Housewives. But the fact of the matter is that Portia said it, you know, she shared so much on the show, particularly at the start. And I think with the longer serving Housewives, there's this feeling that like they've sort of paid their dues where they've, you know, got into it. They've done like horrific sometimes things. They've shared it all. And then they sort of feel a bit like, well, I don't need to be doing that as much anymore, which creates this situation where the fans are like, you know, they're not earning their paycheck, paycheck or whatever. Yeah. Like someone like Kyle, although I don't I don't really agree with this with the Kyle Richards hate, but people say all the time, you know, she's not earning her paycheck, which I think is, I mean, it's particularly last season, I think she definitely did. But, you know, she, someone like her definitely would probably think, you know, I shared so much with Kim and with all the rest of it early on that, you know, now I can not necessarily be that person on the show anymore. It's also just like economic factors, right? Like the housewives have more to lose when they've been on the show longer. So, you know, um, they're bound to be a little bit more cautious um, with, you know, th- you know, they're a brand now often when they start the show they're just you know a random kind of rich woman um but often by the time they've been on the show for a while they have you know businesses and a whole social media presence and a podcast and all this other stuff so they want to protect that and a good way to protect that is by not getting so deep about things and not sharing things i think um there's definitely a subtext to that with Giselle how they get annoyed about her not sharing because it's sort of and there's obviously the type of hypocrisy they think that she wants other people to share and then not share herself but yeah they get annoyed at her for not sharing because I think she's kind of like happy just you know directing the sharing in other places but um yeah I think the longevity thing is certainly interesting and then also that these OGs know that they're a bit more of a hot commodity now because um, you know, someone like Teresa or Kyle is not going to get fired from that show unless they do something like next level, like I'm talking like huge racism scandal, like something like that, like a huge scandal that Bravo has to like intervene. 
I don't see either of them ever being fired, which creates this situation where they don't really need to be, you know, there's not really the incentive for them to be like in the middle of the mess as much as other people. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot what your second question was. Do you think the antidote or the cure to the authenticity crisis is having these ultimate Real Housewives oh, Ultimate Girls yes. trips so that you actually get to see them worry about how many followers they have on Instagram mm. and whether or not they bring up something on camera and all these like real authentic sort of breaking the fourth wall conversations. Yeah, it's interesting because like on the most recent episode of Ultimate Girls Trip, Whitney basically says that Heather got her on the show, um, which I think we all kind of knew, but I don't yeah. really remember them saying that like out loud. Whitney says Heather got her on the show and that they forged a very fast friendship by kind of disliking the same people on the show. So like Lisa Barlow, for example. Um, And then Whitney basically says that she felt indebted to Heather because she got her on the show that she kind of like maybe was her like lapdog a little bit. Um, I'm guessing a kind of slightly brandy Lisa Vanderpump situation. Um, And then now she's, not started sort of singing a different tune things have all gone all gone off but I feel like I could have I feel like that's not breaking the fourth wall to the extent where they couldn't have discussed that on Salt Lake City I don't know if we necessarily needed needed that to happen on Girls Trip that conversation I think the Girls Trip definitely feels a lot more authentic to me because they're like all these shows are essentially a show about a show um and Girls Trip is like a show in itself but then also a show about uh, these women how they a show about a show about a show <laughs> right it's even more it's like another level it's another level I mean that's why I'm obsessed with it like not necessarily the drama like I could listen to these women talking about real just like being on reality tv forever but I appreciate that's not where all the fans are at like I think that girls trip is definitely a format for like fans like you or I you know yes. like we we love the minutia we love like their podcasts we follow all the Bravo fan accounts like we're it's like a we like be engaging with it in a kind of like multimedia type of way. Um, I definitely don't think, it, which is why I think it's a smart decision to have it on Peacock because I don't think that like it would have the same fig- viewing figures as like other other shows. So it's definitely like a show about a show about a show. As I said, I think it's interesting. Like one thing I thought was fascinating was Leah's whole thing about her grandmother and basically saying that you know the story she told anyone who's listened to the podcast will know what I'm talking about. The story she told about when they filmed a cast trip to the Hamptons and her grandmother was passing away ill and she claims that no one said that she should leave. I thought it was really interesting because Bravo didn't refute the allegation and she didn't actually say that they told her that she couldn't leave. She said, no one said to me, leave. So she didn't say she was forbidden from leaving the Hamptons. She just said that no one was like actively telling her to go. So it's not quite the same thing, although I get the implication. Then they cut to all these confessionals from the housewives, basically debunking her claim based on their experience. But they never denied it, which I thought was completely fascinating. Like that's so bravo to me, like just like very keeping their hands clean in that situation to sort of nip that in the bud without actually getting involved themselves. And obviously they have a sort of leveraged relationship with those women that they were getting to deny it. Like, you know, they don't want to piss anybody off. So I just thought that was like extremely fascinating. I think Girls Trip definitely highlights that there is a kind of like 
desperation to a lot of housewives um, these days. I think partly this is maybe a result of there being fewer original and long-serving cast members on these shows now. Um, You know, Potomac and Salt Lake City aside, um, each franchise is quite rare um, to have, you know, an OG on the show still. Um, So I think maybe it's a reaction to that, but it feels like some of the wives, particularly the newer housewives, I said this in my piece for Rolling Stone, are a lot more vulnerable to being demoted or being fired or getting on the wrong side of fan backlash like not everyone like Kyle Richards can survive like a big fan backlash like um you know she did last season when she the whole thing with Sutton's miscarriage and stuff like that like that's the type of backlash that would and laughing about Garcelle's son like that's the type of backlash that would have gotten another housewife fired I think um but for Kyle she can sort of ride it out because she's been on the show for so long so I think the newer housewives tend to have this fear that they're going to be you know made out to be the bad guy and then cut off and you can sort of see that on heather's face the entirety and you can all in the first dinner when they do the shady you know first impressions game and you can sort of see in her face that she's like oh my god i'm being made out to be the bad one everyone's gonna hate me it's gonna be terrible you can like see it all going around her face and i was like and she said herself in a confessional something about like, you know, when housewives are throwing bodies on a pile, you just want to like get away from it or something like that, which I thought was such a interesting comment. But how that relates to authenticity is that I think Heather, again, sorry, is a good example of the wives that perhaps feel less secure in their spot on the show, which is ironic because I think her spot is very secure in right. Salt Lake City, um, which she obviously doesn't think that. But I think her and Whitney, both of them, have a very sort of secure thing going on there. Um, But I think if a housewife feels like her position is not secure, it's more likely that she will then create either a storyline or create a drama, either starring herself or somebody else as a way of turning somebody else into a villain to like distract from her behavior or to become a big central part of the show to then be kept around. So it has this kind of knock-on effect with authenticity where the we have storylines like Heather's Black Eye, which don't really make any sense and just annoy the fans being like five-episode story arcs. And I think the antidote, as you asked, I don't know if it's necessarily Ultimate Girls Trip. Like, I love Ultimate Girls Trip and I think it's definitely a part of it. I will watch that show for as long as it's on television. But I think, honestly... We talk about earning pay. I love Bravo's producers. I think they're amazing. They do an amazing job. I think like to make these shows work for this long is like incredible. So we have to pay them their dues. But I do think they could do a little bit more with interrogating which storylines are BS on their side. Because what ends up happening is I think that their kind of like philosophy so far is you know, we'll film what they give us and then the fans can work out whether storylines BS. And I do see that. I see that thought process because if someone is trying to create a storyline, which is obviously BS, you know, that sort of feels like something we should we should know about. Um, but I think that I would love to see more of that interrogated on the show because it's annoying that we end up having these kind of seasons which are anchored around storylines where there's like five episodes spent on a storyline, which just feels like, it's kind of insulting our intelligence a little bit. And I think that the yeah, the Black Eyes, obviously the most biggest example, but then, you know, they really got kind of hoodwinked by Robin and that whole situation. And I just feel like they could have pressed harder at those situations on the show because 
as sensitive as they were, it kind of ended up coming off like badly for them and it yeah, turns no, people off the I show. I agree. You're so right. I think that like my my antidote is like Bravo producers, maybe not not like working harder because I know they work really hard, but like taking a different tack with these storylines that when they smell fishy, I would love to see them interrogating that more um, so that we don't necessarily just have to watch that and then do that all ourselves because it feels a little bit like the shows have progressed past that point now, if that makes sense. So I think that that's my antidote. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. I I also think one of the things that we as fans can get annoyed by is sort of these alliances where it's like people seem to meet ahead of filming and decide what's going to air and what's not going to be brought up on camera. And Beverly Hills was that happened with and Potomac that's happening with. And so I think, um, you know, production needs to push a little bit harder. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast two weeks in a row. I have had so much fun talking with you. Um, Tell everyone again where they can find you, where they can read your pieces. um, And yeah, all things Louis Staples. Oh, I've had the most amazing time. I would do a third week. I would do another week. I want to be a a friend friend of the podcast. Um, So the best place to find me is on Twitter and Instagram where I'm at Louis Staples, both of those platforms. That's where I post all my work and there's a portfolio link on there that you can read like my back catalog if that's what, if that's what you want. That is incredible. Thank you so, so, so much. We're definitely going to have you back. I love, I also just need to hear your backstory and like how you got into Housewives. I'm always interested. Um, you know, I, I would say, I think like, six percent or some large amount of my listeners are based in the uk also i have like 18 percent of my i don't know i haven't checked it in like a long time but a large percent of my listeners are based outside of the united states with canada the uk and australia being the the main um countries where people listen to so i always love hearing how people got interested and involved and also what it's like to watch um you know, U.S. culture when you're not based in the U.S. because we must seem really crazy on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you travel the world, you can listen to any podcast you want. Oh, I love that. (laughs) That sounds like a tagline. Um, Well, thank you so much, Louie. And we will talk again soon.